a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome on in to a crossover edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast and Crimson Corner podcast. I'm Mitch Harper, BYU insider and host of Cougar Tracks. Joining me is Trevor Allen, host of the Crimson Corner podcast and Utah insider for kslsports.com. We're having this crossover podcast to look back on an event that changed the college sports landscape here in the state of Utah forever, and especially for the two programs we cover, that being conference realignment. Ten years ago this month, speculation turned into actual dominoes falling, falling in the national landscape. Utah accepted a bid to the Pac-10, and BYU declared their football independence. We look at the impact that summer had on the two programs, college athletics as a whole, and what we can expect in the next decade here on this podcast. And again, Trevor Allen now joins me here on the show. Trevor, it's crazy to think ten years ago, time has flown and a lot has changed in the college landscape here in the state of Utah. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, at least from Utah's point of view of, of what it did, you know, it was a, it was a couple of years of really great seasons for Utah in the Mountain West and really good seasons, especially two where where they they went without a loss and, you know, had some big wins. And I think that that's what kind of leaped them into getting a uh, invite into the Pac-10, which is now the Pac-12. But, you know, just seeing how how things have changed where, you know, the Mountain West, we were talking about having to go beat the Horn Frogs or, you know, BYU and Utah always playing at the end of the year. And usually a, a conference title is up and up for grabs and to where it changed the whole landscape of that rivalry. But it also changed college football all together because there was so much domino effect from that. And, you know, it's it's really changed the way that that college football was going. We're putting up some realignment content pieces to kind of highlight the last 10 years on kslsports.com so be on the lookout for that you can follow us on twitter at ksl sports at trevor a sports for trevor at mitch underscore harper for me also at ksl sports and all the other socials facebook instagram you know the drill there and subscribe to our podcast feeds as well on all the major podcasting platforms but so yeah trevor kind of highlighted it there i mean the 10 years ago this summer you got to remember college sports there was not much 
re- movement in the sport. Realignment was not a foreign thing, uh, a foreign concept, but it was something that didn't happen often. Just five years prior to 2010, there was movement in the ACC, but really things started to shake up when Jim Delaney in the Big Ten said, we want to expand and start to form potentially or have more viewers on our Big Ten network. Conference networks were a big thing, and the Mountain West Conference actually had their own network, but the Mountain was a colossal failure. So it led to a, a so TV viewership, population, market sizes were a big thing in realignment because every conference in the then BCS structure wanted to get huge payouts from the TV network. So the Big Ten was the trendsetter. The Pac-12 or Pac-10 then hired Larry Scott to be their commissioner. They then became very interested in realignment. And it set up a summer that really was truly, uh, truly crazy. Uh, I remember, Trevor, just kind of looking back on on that summer. I remember, and you can speak to this more, but there was a time when the Pac-10 was going to be potentially the Pac-16 with Texas, Oklahoma, and all the Big 12 schools going to the Pac-10. But fortunate for Utah, it ended up falling their way. Yeah, it was one of those things where there was talk of having, you know, rather than like Power 5 conferences, you're going to have the super conferences right. where you're going to have – three or four conferences expand all the way to 16 teams. And, and then I think that there was talk about potentially doing a playoff format with, you know, the winners of those conferences. And, and really it was going to, it was going to collapse the big 12 and, you know, just trying to see where, you know, things fell that way. And for a while it was looking like Utah going, going to the PAC 10, but then just, as you said, where rather than picking up Utah and Colorado, they were going to pick up Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, like those, those big 12 powerhouse programs. And, you know, obviously things didn't fall that way, luckily for Utah fans. And I think that it's been a big thing for Utah being in the, the Pac-12. It's been it's been nothing but great things for not only the you know program for, for college football, but also for basketball and other sports as well. They've taken things to new heights, but there were there were some bumps and bruises along the way. But just to think that we could be sitting here 10 years later, that we there, there was a chance of having those super conferences and Utah wouldn't have been involved in that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of an interesting thought, honestly, because the the Big Twelve they would have vanished, and all the remnants would have possibly went to the Mountain West Conference. So the Mountain West Conference could have been Utah, BYU, TCU, and the leftovers in the Big Twelve. It would have been a really good league to, when you when you think about it. But yes, Utah ends up going to the Pac-10. I remember they in, accepted an invitation shortly after Colorado, one of those six teams in the Big Twelve, was the one accepted invite the other five big 12 schools went back to the big 12 utah they the conference needed a 12th member and utah got that golden ticket and and arrived in a bcs conference for byu i remember it was a situation where a lot of byu's always had a feeling that they were they had the look they had the feel of a power five bcs conference then program and it just for whatever reason the interest level was not there for byu one one of the big hurdles for BYU was the fact that they were a faith-based institution, no Sunday play. But honestly, I thought that was something that could be overcome in regards to football. The Olympic sports, it was a bigger hurdle. But the Big 12 Conference was a, pro, was a conference that BYU had conversations with. I think the Pac-10 was really a non-starter from the, uh, the point of views that BYU had. And remember that time there was Prop 8 in, in San Francisco, and that was something that was a big hurdle for BYU in regards to realignment conversations. And so BYU, Utah gets the Pac-10 invite. BYU then is trying to work and, and make things happen to get into independence. And 
I think it worked out, but man, it was a lot of uh, uncertainty regarding BYU where it felt like it went a lot more smooth for Utah. Yeah, it, it was a little bit easier. I, I think really a lot of it, and I, I've, I've already stated this before, I think it was those those two years where Utah busted the BCS, and I, I really think that that helped because it, it showed the conference not only do they have the academics, but they can also be competitive and, and play really good teams and bring in really talented guys. I mean, they were sending guys into the NFL at a pretty high rate for Utah for, for being a, a school in the Mountain West Conference, but you know, it seemed like for BYU – you know, back in 2010, when I was looking at this, you know, just seeing what was going to go on with BYU, could they make this whole independence thing work? And, you know, I was hearing things of that BYU wasn't going to be able to make it because there were going to be so many conferences that had to stick to a certain amount of conference games. And then I was like, okay, how soon, I mean, do they need to go into a conference? Is it, is it viable to go into the big 12? And then you obviously had, you know, TV deals where BYU TV, comes into play and then and then you have some of their other contracts that they had and for me it was a little confusing at first to what BYU was going to do but it seems like that they've been able to right the ship and 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 figure things out and really have a really good schedule year in and year out yeah originally BYU was going to go to well they wanted to go to the Big 12 I mean the Big 12 was kind of like culturally I think a huge a good fit for BYU especially when the Big 12 was getting rated remember Nebraska ends up going to the Big 10 uh, Texas A&M was having conversations with the Big Ten and SEC. Missouri was having conversations with the Big Ten and the SEC. So the Big 12 looked like it was under siege, and it felt like BYU could swoop in there and maybe replace Colorado as the maybe Western footprint program in the conference. But, you know, Colorado was an original Big 8 member. They had a long history in the league, whereas BYU, I don't know if there was much of a interest to want to have a, another private school in the conference because Baylor was already in there. Remember, too, BYU back in the day, uh, like around 1995 when the Southwest Conference and the Big Big 8 formed alliance uh, and created the Big 12, BYU was at the center of the conversation. It was either Baylor or BYU, and the governor of Texas ended up saying, hey, you got to support Baylor. She was an an alum of Baylor and kind of changed the face of history for, for BYU. But the Cougars then had to regroup, and I think a lot of people have this narrative out there that, oh, you know, BYU saw Utah go to the Pac-12 and suddenly made a sh- uh, knee-jerk reaction to go independent. That wasn't the case at all. Uh, BYU had been plotting independence dating back to 2007 when after they had a game against San Diego State that the Mountain, the Mountain would not allow to be rebroadcast on BYU TV in hopes of having more eyeballs on the game to have a chance of being a BCS at-large team that season. BYU then started researching the possibility of going independent because the TV contract was not suitable for them. Promises were not kept, and BYU started to explore that. And then, so I think one of the narratives that just is wrong is that BYU made a short-sighted move, but I do think it amplified things like, hey, we got to move on now that our rival is no longer in the league. And that's something that I was thinking of early on was when, back then, was when Utah chose to go to the uh, Pac-12 that BYU was scrambling because they didn't have anywhere to go, and, that, and then that was where they, they went where they are now. And, and you know, it was a good thing you ended up clearing that up. And, I mean, I, I knew that a couple years later, but that was something that I initially thought. It was like, okay, BYU is scrambling, and they don't want to go back to the Mountain West with their you know tail between their legs. And so that was when they chose to, to go as an independent. And, 
you know, that was where I thought that that was probably a good move years later. Now, I still think, Mitch, and, you know, I would love to have your thoughts on this. I think BYU still would benefit greatly going into a Power 5 conference such as the Big 12 because they only have 10 teams in that conference right now. They could use two more if they want to live up to their to their number that's on the front of their conference. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, BYU would, even their athletic department, Tom Homo, he doesn't speak often, but when he does, he's, he's noted that, you know, the money that would have came from being in the Big 12 would have been a huge kind of windfall. And, and BYU, uh, you know, ends up going to the independent route uh, they declared their independence about a month or so later uh, after Utah, or two months later after Utah accepted their bid to the Pac-10 and, and eventually what became the Pac-12. BYU was initially going to go back to the WAC, but they ended up going to the West Coast Conference because the Mountain West literally blew up the plan to have BYU go to the WAC because the WAC was going to take San Diego State, they were going to take UNLV, and BYU was going to kind of kick it all with old WAC rivals in the WAC, but that didn't happen, and now... They're in the West Coast Conference. So we know what's, what's happened. That, that was kind of a little bit of a history lesson there. So what have we learned, though, over the last 10 years, though, Trevor? Because it feels like for Utah, football-wise, the success is to a level nationally that I don't think the program has ever experienced on this consistent of a level, but also maybe just the whole entire athletic department as a whole. You know this, Mitch. Whenever you uh, try to, to move a team from a group of five conference into a power five conference, there, there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. And I think Utah was in a really good spot with who they had at, at the helm, and now it's Kyle Whittingham. And there were some dark times where people were wanting Whittingham to be fired. I mean, but they also started their very first year in the Pac-12. They went eight and five, four and five in conference play. And with a four and five record in conference play, they had a chance to play in that inaugural Pac-12 championship game. That's right. All they had to do was beat Colorado in the regular season finale, but they lost by three at home. But then from then on out, then, then they had, you know, the, those those two five and seven seasons. But then they really shot up to where in, in 2014 they, they went nine and four and then 10 wins and then nine wins and then seven wins in, in, in 16 and then in 18 and 19. They were really, really good as well going to the championship game each year. The thing is that they haven't been able to get the job done to win that Pac-12 championship. But I think it's been really good because it's allowed Kyle Whittingham to do a few things. One, they were able to upgrade a lot of the facilities there. And that was what really, especially getting that that state-of-the-art practice facility and those offices over there have really been able to attract some of the recruits out there and and get into more homes because it's it's kind of that flashy new toy. But then it's also given Kyle Whittingham some leverage and being able to get into homes of student-athletes and prospects that they wouldn't have been able to get into if they were in the Mountain West Conference. But I do think that there are still some problems with this uh, Pac-12 network and not being able to to be seen on every major satellite or cable provider. But it's it's been good for Utah just for the fact that they're you know now they're they're in that phase where they're all done with the you know growing pains and. And all that now you got to win championships now and, and Utah is always knocking on the door but the fact is is that they can't seem to get by in those huge games against you know Oregon or Washington or whatever it may be it's a good point you mentioned about too the exposure because on field product Utah has been one of the winningest programs really in the college football playoff era they're only one of a a few teams that darn near every week of the college football season they've been in the playoff rankings uh since the playoff started with the exception being 2016 it's almost been a weekly fixture utah's been in the playoffs but you mentioned tv and that was a big thing for byu because byu's always been a program dating back 
you know, decades. And and here at KSL, we we know that firsthand, like BYU with KSL, like BYU fans would try to they go to church houses around the country to watch BYU play games that were originally broadcasted on KSL and the Blue and White Sports Network. They've always had this national following, and the Mountain West situation was terrible, far worse than the Pac-12. And when BYU declared independence, exposure, not necessarily money, was the big thing for BYU. And since they've been an independent, uh, BYU has had a ton of exposure. Uh, They've had 69 games on either ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, NBC, or CBS. And those are the big networks, not ESPNUs and FS1s and CBS Sports Network. Like that's, that's pretty good. And that's you're talking about top 20 nationally in terms of exposure. And you look over the last you know, 10 years, BYU football has done nothing really on a national level. They've only had one season that finished in the top 25, and that was in 2011. And that was a byproduct of USC being banned from being in the top 25 rankings that year. So really, BYU football as an independent hasn't done anything, but TV networks still like BYU because they bring eyeballs. And there's this appeal that if BYU can win big as an independent because the scheduling, as you noted earlier, how how are they going to do it? That was what a lot of people were asking. But they got the Notre Dames. They got the Texases. They got Wisconsin's, and they got all these different programs. They've shown they can really, it's gone much easier than anyone ever expected. And now it's a matter of winning, and it's almost felt like now 10 years later where Utah knows they can win at a high level. BYU almost feels like, are those days behind us? And that's that's one of the drawbacks, I think, for BYU in regards to independence. Just from looking from my uh, point of view with BYU, I, I kind of saw you know a trend of where they were playing good teams. It was just the fact of could they get that home-and-home home series with them early on. To me, and you definitely know this more than I do, it seemed like that they were having a hard time where, you know, to get just that, that home and home, it was either a one-off or, or getting two for one against some of those bigger programs. But it seems like nowadays they're able to get home and homes, especially with, you know, teams who are in conferences that have nine conference games where you only have three games out of conference. Yeah, BYU, uh, if I think scheduling has gone pretty well for BYU. And now they're starting to see a lot of these teams come into Provo. They got Missouri coming up. They got Michigan State. So I think that's been a positive. Scheduling has been great for BYU. I think now the challenge going forward is, you know, can they have that big breakthrough year? I also wonder, too, you know, will BYU ever be considered in the power structure of the sport as an independent? Because I honestly don't think, Trevor, the Pac-12, the Big 12, I don't think they're coming, they're calling anytime soon. Maybe the Pac-12, because you highlighted the Pac-12 network, their issues, and financially – with the pandemic and everything like that, maybe they look at it and go, okay, we can overlook maybe some of the religious political aspects, maybe, be, and see BYU as a financial boom because BYU's got a lot of alumni in California. they got a lot of alumni dotted up and down the West Coast. Maybe they could be huge for the receipts or in terms of the gate receipt at attendance, but I, I don't see that day happening anytime soon. So BYU will have to find a way to get creative in terms of you know finding a way in that power structure as an independent. For Utah, though, what do you feel like are the challenges moving forward that they have to face beyond just simply winning the conference? Like, What are some other areas that have been a little bit of a hurdle that they try to overcome as a, a member of the Pac-12 conference? I think a lot of it is keeping it constant every year. I mean, you, you look at it as far as coaching staff. On defense, they've been able to plug and play pretty well and, and being able to keep the same guys. But when you look at offense how often they had to change coordinators. 
And it, it seemed like every year or every other year at the very most that, you know, you would, you would be able to get two seasons in with the uh, same coordinator or, you know, at least same person calling plays because there were a couple years where you had the co-coordinators and all that stuff. It was constantly not being very effective on all phases of offense. You know, they, they were able to run the ball. Utah has always been known to run the football, but then having to throw the ball, but then also keeping your quarterback healthy or not having to change quarterbacks all the time. I mean, you look at it almost every single year, except for in 2016, at least in the early years of, of the Pac-12 era, they had one quarterback change. And and you're, you're looking at that too, and how many times have, have they had to change coordinators on offense as well. And so I think a lot of that is just, can they keep the same guys in-house and being able to build this program? I think that we're looking at that right now with uh, Andy Ludwig. I think he's here to stay. I think he's moved around a lot throughout his career, and I think he's one of those guys who is ready to call Utah home and, and finish out his coaching career at Utah. This is the Crossover Podcast, Cougar Tracks, and Crimson Corner here on KSLSports.com, revisiting the, ten, the past 10 years, this new realignment era. It's 10-year anniversary this month when everything kind of changed in the college sports landscape, especially here in the state of Utah, and again, BYU goes the independent path, and they also joined the West Coast Conference. Utah was Pac-12 in all sports. I'm curious, Trevor, I know our listeners, they care mostly about football and men's basketball, but just as an athletic department as a whole, how do you feel Utah athletics have thrived or maybe had some challenges uh, being a member of the Pac-12 in all sports, maybe besides just football? You know, just pointing out some of the sports uh, that I've been able to follow. And, you know, women's basketball, they were going through some uh, tough times, especially early on. They ended up ha- having to make a, a coaching change. And it seems like that Lynn Roberts is able to get the recruits. It's just now you got to start piling on the wins, you know. For a baseball, it, it's been tough sledding. They had that one year where oh, they yeah. went from worst to first and ended up winning the Pac-12. But after that, they've been – I'm not trying to put this, you know, in a rude way. They've been bottom feeders of the conference every year for a lot of the years since joining the Pac-12 in baseball. Softball is really, really competitive. Red Rocks, they're among the best in not only the Pac-12, but in the entire country. Um, top and that was five a big thing. Year. Sorry to cut you off, but that was a big thing yeah, yeah. when the Pac-12 added Utah Gymnastics. If I'm not mistaken, they weren't a member of the Mount West Conference. I just remember that was a big thing when Larry Scott mm-hmm. announced Utah to the Pac-10 that like they're going to get Utah Gymnastics, and that's paid off nicely for the Olympic side of things with the conference. They're constantly in the running, if not winning Pac-12 championships. And they've even had coaching changes with, you know, Megan Marsden and, and everything. And, and they're, you know, picking up where they left off. And they have some really bright stars and really great program that, that they have there where they're, they're continuing to be a national powerhouse in, in women's gymnastics. So those are just some of the, you know, sports. And, you know, they've obviously been able to add some other sports. They were able to get sanctioned to be division one in men's lacrosse i think they're one of only two schools i think west of the mississippi that have a lacrosse team and, and that are division one and so they're really not in the pack tw- pack 12 per se because sure. there's not a ton of teams in that but they they do have a program and they're they're just starting out and so it, it seems like to me that utah has been able to benefit pretty well from this there there are some programs that have struggled and that's what has kind of happened now that that uh, harlan's come in taking over for chris hill Chris Hill was one of the guys who who would kind of hold on to coaches and things like that, even though, you know, trying to give them a lot of chances and something that uh, Mark Harlan's been able to do and, and say is that you guys are going to win. If you're going to coach here at the University of Utah, you've got to win games, you've got to win championships. And he's already started to make changes in his Olympic sports programs. And 
but he hasn't really needed to make any in bat. Well, in basketball, we're we're kind of we're kind of see what happens in the next year or two. But definitely for tough football, there hasn't really been much need of a change. Yeah, for BYU, I've been pleasantly surprised how much success they've experienced in pretty much every sport not named football or even men's basketball. Bat- men's basketball has been good in terms of successful being, you know, 20, 25 wins, chalk it up every single year. Every year. That's, right. It's hard to, it's hard to beat a team like that. No question. And they had a few NCAA tournament appearances, but outside the big two, BYU has had kind of unprecedented success in terms of like Learfield cup standings. I mean, you know it as well as anyone, Trevor, with, with us and our workload at KSLsports.com. It was you. You kind of maybe give me a little bit of grief at times. Like, man, Mitch, you're having to cover all these uh, Olympic sports, but it's like you know BYU Olympic sports were rocking last fall. Women's soccer and women's volleyball. They're they're having a lot of success, and I think that's a byproduct of the West Coast Conference because that league being based in California. I think they, those leagues, smaller schools, and the state of California, and smaller smaller sports. They tend to be able to get kids from home, and so the West Coast Conference gets a lot of good athletes in these Olympic sports, and I think it's elevated BYU, whereas I think the Mountain West Conference really didn't elevate Utah or BYU in some of the Olympic sports, where now baseball, even at BYU, is having a lot of success, top 25 recruiting class under Mike Littlewood, because I think the appeal is that they can go to California, play all these really good baseball programs, and also maybe have a chance to get... Uh, you know, super to get to regionals and the NCAA tournament. So BYU sports outside the big two has been really good uh, in this era. Now it's a matter of getting football and men's basketball up to speed. Football's been okay, average. Basketball seeing an uptick with Mark Pope. So should be very fascinating to see what ends up happening in the future. But so far, so so good. Better than I think expected in regards to being in a mid-major conference like the West Coast Conference. Questions were uh, flying through my head as you were rattling off some of these uh, programs among BYU, and it kind of led me to go back to football. Scheduling is good and playing really good teams, but is BYU going to kind of be where they're at, where they're kind of hovering over that you know 500 mark every year until they get into a Power 5 conference, or, or what else need, needs to change? Because scheduling is there. And you obviously have, you know, television networks, you know, a a lot of the recruits are able to get a lot of the exposure of what they want. It seems like, and I don't want to use this, but it's what everyone's used, especially in the rivalry. The The talent talent gap, gap, the talent gap. The talent gap. How does BYU shorten that gap? I mean, obviously you got to go out and find the right guys, but it's hard to, especially when you're not in a conference and you're a, a private school. And so what are, what are some of the challenges and what does BYU need to do? to get the football program back to where they were when they were in the Mountain West Conference? I honestly don't think it's a matter of being independent, though. I, I really don't. I think that – I do think I, – I do believe that sometimes with independence, guys do question what are we playing for, and that's a problem. I mean, and let me rephrase. Like, it's not a matter of just simply what are we playing for. It's more like they're just not hyped. Now, personally, I'd, I'd be like – how can you not be hyped? Like you, you never know if this might be your last game playing college football. It can be taken away in a moment's notice, whether it be injury or, you know, academic issues, who knows what, like just ball out. Like it's your last game. But I have noticed that that could be an issue sometimes in seasons for BYU that they just, for whatever reason, they don't show up and they don't get up for a game that they should just handily win. 
They haven't done so. That's been kind of an issue under Kalani Sataki. I think BYU should always be at least once every seven to ten years. I'd say seven years. When you're talking one eligibility cycle, seven years of guys, I think once every seven years, BYU should have at least a 10 or 11 win team. Outside of that, though, it's probably seven to nine wins at most. And nine wins would be fantastic, but I think seven to eight wins is kind of the benchmark on most years because, yeah, I mean, anytime BYU steps on the field against a Power 5 team, including Utah, they're at a disadvantage in terms of resources, in terms of, I think, commitment. BYU's got money. Uh, They do. They make money, and that's been one of the pauses with Independence. They're making more money than ever before. We don't see the official books, but they are making more money. However, they're very frugal, too. They're not just going to let it fly. They're not going to let it rain and just get the big support staffs. And maybe... With the future of college sports, we might see, because of this pandemic, we might see that slow down a bit, and that could help BYU, even the playing field a little bit more. But I think that ultimately, like, BYU's got to find two- and three-star kids and hope and pray that they develop into five-star talents when they leave. Because if they don't, then BYU's going to always be mired in probably, you know, six to eight wins. That's just kind of what it is. But you hope that you get one big year every seven years, and that's kind of what BYU football was outside of, you know, the 80s and that little stretch there with Bronco Mendenhall. Where do you think BYU's trending right now? We could tell you Utah's trending upwards. I mean, obviously a big question mark going into this season is how many new players they're going to have on that team and a lot of young guys, uh, especially with having nine new starters on defense. But BYU seems to kind of be in around the same. They've kind of gone up and down throughout the year. But where are they as a whole through 10 years now, Mitch? Where's BYU football trending? Ah, that's a good question. I think uh, trending, I think it's trending slightly up. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's trending down because I do think the talent level in the program is getting better under Kalani Satake. But I will say, I don't think the top 22 players are as good as where it was at the tail end of the Mount West days as it is now. Like, I think BYU's entire roster of 85 scholarship players is better today than where it was during the Mount West. But I think the top-end talent isn't as good. So I think BYU's got to improve in that area, and they got to get those big-time stars like the Max Halls, the the Harvey Youngas, the Dennis Pittas. They need 1,000-yard receivers. They need 1,000-yard running backs. They need a 3,000-yard passer. They need that type of stardom in those key spots if they want to have a big-time season because the narrative or the the story has never been written on what BYU is according to the playoff committee. Like, I'm not going to say and tell you here on this show that, oh, undefeated BYU is getting, getting into the playoff. Probably not. But could they maybe get into the New Year's Six? Maybe if they're undefeated and they had a good enough schedule, maybe that happens. And if that does... BYU is an at-large bid. I mean, that makes you think independence is the way to go. But BYU's just never been good enough to be in that conversation, to have the playoff committee discuss them. And that's something that's kind of a missing component to independence. Like, if they have that, where they're going into November 8-1, and one, and the nation is they're in the top 15, how do they view a BYU that's maybe got the good schedule, not as good as Power 5 teams, but still pretty dang good compared to... Uh, much better than group of five programs. That would be a fascinating conversation to me. But still, I think that, so I would say trending up slightly, they got to get better. They got to get more consistent. What would you say about Utah? 
I would say that they're, you know, trending, but they're not, they're not skyrocketing. It's not a very steep trend, if you will, because Utah has had two really good seasons. Well, really, I mean, they've had at least uh, seven wins in the last, you know, since 2014, but it's gotten to the point now where that's not good enough, especially when you go to the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row. And then in that second year, you have to, all you have to do is beat Oregon, a team that you could easily beat, who I would I would say is as, was as talented as Utah. I wouldn't say that they're more talented, and I wouldn't say that Utah was more talented, but they just took it to Utah in that game. But had you won that game, I would say 60%, 70% chance of getting into the college football playoff, and you couldn't make that happen. So what you're doing now, Kyle Whittingham's setting the bar even higher, but the fact is they're not quite meeting that yet, but they are, they are trending. I mean, as long as you're winning games and – you know, bringing in quality recruits every single year, which Utah just signed their their best class in 2020. And we'll definitely see how that plays out coming into this season, because a lot of those guys are probably going to be asked to come in and step up and play right away and playing at a high level. But I also think that Utah's trending in a better direction in their non-conference play, because nothing against BYU. But if BYU is your best non-conference game, you've got a problem. And you can't have that, at least right now. But when you're playing Northern Illinois, Idaho State, uh, Wyoming coming up this year, I mean, BYU should not be your best non-conference game. I mean, it's still good for BYU. It, it means that the rivalry is still there and, you know, they really look at it as that. But I think Utah's trending in the right direction. And I would say it's a little bit steeper than what BYU's on, but it, it's not where it needs to be. Let me follow up with that, uh, that BYU-Utah talk with the rivalry game. As we look forward to the future, this has been good conversation thus far. As we look to maybe look ahead, maybe the next 10 years, what realignment could be and, and the scheduling and things like that. BYU and Utah, they're going to take a break coming up when Utah plays Florida, home and home with the Gators, which Florida, they don't travel west often. If you get that chance, you got to take that. But do you think this rivalry, I mean, because Utah's won the last nine, they've won it, they've pretty much dominated in the Kyle Whittingham era, I mean, is it going to get to a point where Utah's like, hey, you know, BYU's, we're putting this thing to the back burner. We're going to try and get programs like Florida every single year. Could we see this thing take a longer hiatus than just the two years? What do you think? No, I don't. I think that what's really promising for Utah and BYU fans is that is that the ADs have a really good relationship as far as wanting to keep the rivalry going. The thing is, how is Utah going to view this? Because back when uh, Dr. Chris Hill was the AD at Utah, he looked at it as way we're going to schedule non-conference. You're going to have an A-list team, a B-list team, and a C-list team. C is a team out of the big sky, usually. The B team is out of a mid-major conference, and he always thought A was BYU. And that was why you saw him put a halt to the BYU-Utah rivalry for two years, which only ended up being one because they played in the Vegas Bowl. But when Utah had that home-and-home against Michigan, because they didn't want to have Michigan and BYU on there. Mark Harlan's in there where he's like, okay, we should have Florida and BYU on our non-conference, you know, or sorry, there's there's other t- uh, teams, I think, uh, right. in the LSU. You know, you could see something like that. I think that they're going to start going away from, rather than putting a hiatus on the rivalry, they're going to play it. It's just they're going to look at it as more of a B. I, I wouldn't say C because C is one of those games where it's basically a scrimmage. But I don't think that it's going to be looked at as highly as as Dr. Chris Hill did, I, I think Harlan's going to look at it as it's still a rivalry game. It's something to give the you know state something to look forward to. Um, it's just been hard to get used to it being 
first game of the year or second game of the year because for a while it was third game of the year or they even tried it you know a couple years ago where it was the last game of the year I don't think it's going to go away um, if it does it'll be one of those one year one or two year hiatuses where you're where you're playing a really good team like Florida yeah I think that the rivalry will continue to be played it'll be interesting to see you know BYU I would assume will have a new athletic director in the next decade I would assume at some point maybe Tom Homo continues to be the AD at that point, but he's been uh, doing this now for about 15 years. I mean, he could go another 10. I don't know. Chris Hill was, what, 30-something years? So maybe Homo continues. Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, maybe he goes longer. But I would, if I was to guess, I think Homo would probably be, uh, you know, maybe stepping down eventually this this coming up time and uh, this coming up decade. And if a new voice goes in and he or she is like, you know what, this – this isn't working for us. We'll see. Harlan's embraced it. I think that first year in 2018, he seemed to really enjoy the atmosphere. But I think you make a good point that I think, and I think it's a Pac-12 issue. I think it's also a college football thing too. That these these leagues are like we can't just play a bunch of nobodies in non-conference anymore. It's backfiring, especially if you're outside the SEC. If you're outside the SEC, you have to have a great non-conference if you want to get in the playoff because. You know, Utah, last year, I mean, you can maybe say that maybe the, the weak non-conference ultimately bit them in the end. Like, that uh, that hurt them when they they stepped up to an Oregon, whereas Oregon played an Auburn. They played, uh, you know, they also lost to an ASU who Utah crushed. But, you know, maybe that's something where Utah's looking at, like, we can't just lay down anymore and just view BYU as the elite game and just, hey, BYU plus LSU, BYU plus, you know, these great programs. So, I think that'll be a positive, honestly, and I think that it's that's what people want to pay for. I don't think anyone wants to pay to see Idaho State, Northern Illinois. I know as a media member, I hate watching you know BYU play freaking uh, Wagner or Savannah State. Like that's awful. That's awful. Like I remember yeah. going to Bronco Mendenhall in 2014 after that Savannah State game. BYU fans were cheering for Savannah State to score a touchdown. Even Bronco was just like. I don't know what to say to this game. Like, it's just like, this was just completely outclassed out, man. So yeah, I think I'm with you. I think the rivalry does continue to be played because I think there is that good relationship. Last thing before we get out of here, Trevor, uh, it's been a good show. Again, follow Trevor on Twitter at Trevor, a sports, Mitch underscore Harper for me. What's the future of college realignment uh, in the next 10 years? Because, you know, the PAC 12 TV issues are well-documented. We've discussed that here. You know, do we ever get to the super conferences? Do we see maybe the SEC add a few more teams? You know, what happens with Notre Dame? Do we see, you know, college football create a NFL-like system where the Power Five breaks off? What do you see happening maybe in the next decade? You know, it's tough because you you also see these these Power Five conferences that have a number in front of it, and they don't have that many members or they have more than that many members of, of their conference. And, you know, it seems like the uh, Pac-12 is the only one that kind of follows by that. And um, what, what I want to see, rather than realignment, I want to see everyone on the same level playing field. You know, something that has always been preached by Kyle Whittingham, by everybody, is let's have the same amount of conference games rather than letting some of these other Power Five conferences have the upper hand yeah. and go schedule Colgate or crest or whatever toothpaste company it has has a university but also as far as realignment i mean i'm interested to see what happens to the uh, fighting irish notre dame 
are they going to kind of stick with that deal what they have now? But I'm all, I'm kind of thinking, Mitch. I think by the time we get to 2030, which would be absolutely insane that we'd be in 2030, but I think BYU is in a conference. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I honestly think by the time the college football playoff ends, which is around, let's see, it's been, gosh, math's my, not my strong suit on the air, uh, About 12, it'll be about 20, 25-ish, 12 years, the college football playoff era, well, first contract will end. I think we're going to see some big shakeups. It's going to be TV deals expiring around 2024, 2025, coinciding with the playoff. I do think, Trevor, we're going to see the playoff expanded to eight. Now, I think if there is a situation where a group of five team does get an automatic bid, and they're the automatic eight seed playing number one seeded team, if that happens, I got to think BYU then goes to a group of five league, right? Because I think that then you can tell your fan base, hey, we're, we're not going to play as many power five teams, but we're going to have a shot to play for a national title every year. And I don't think it'd be a foregone conclusion that BYU just runs and dominates a Mountain West or dominates an AAC. I think those days are a little bit over. Like, I don't, I don't think it's it, – the Boise states of the world, are, it's, it's unthinkable – that they're able to keep up the consistency that they do. But I don't think BYU would just uh, assume dominance. But I will say, if the group of five gets a seat at the table, the playoff, they get an automatic bid, just one seat out of an eight-team playoff, because I do think we're getting the eight, then BYU has to go to a group of five league. If that doesn't happen, then I think BYU's got to hope that the Power Five conferences break off and form like an NFL-like system, and then they add maybe BYU, maybe Houston, maybe Central Florida, and Boise State, and make it like a 68-team NFL-type system, and TV companies are bidding for the rights for these four-plus, five-plus leagues and and a few independents, and they all just schedule and rotate through one another, kind of like the NFL, like you might see Packers-Patriots once every nine years, but you cycle through them all. That would be a great system. And then then that would ultimately – Get rid of the whole, like, oh, yeah, the Sun Belt and freaking Bama are playing on the same sport. No, they're not. Like, they're not playing the same sport. And I think the pandemic is highlighting that issue, too. Whereas you're seeing group of five leagues, they're already cutting down their conference basketball tournaments for next March, saying we're only going to have eight teams instead of 12 because we can't afford all these games. Like, you're seeing all these issues already in the group of five because of the pandemic. We haven't even get got to the fall calendar yet. Whereas the Power Five, like, it's hurting them a little bit, but for the most part, you're not seeing cuts. You're not seeing, you know, furloughs. You're not seeing that. Uh, whereas, you know, the group of five, they're furloughing tons of people left and right. They're cutting sports. And we got to get this this fairy tale that everyone's playing the same game here. They're not. College football and the power five and the group of five is not the same thing. So that, to me, are some of the elements that I think. Um, and I'm curious to see what the Pac-12 does, too, because – some point they got to improve their TV deal and maybe adding new members could help that. I don't know though. It doesn't feel like that would. Well, I think a lot of it too, is you got to have commissioner Scott and I hope he's not listening to this because I'm going to be talking to him in the next couple weeks, <laughs> but I hope he learns how to spend his money right way where you're not renting these huge offices in, in a San Fran and, and you know, you are bringing up a whole television network on your own and, where you're actually seeing a lot of these conferences using these other major networks to have their conference games televised. Yep. 
I think that they need to go to something like that. And you need to go to a, a network that's not beefing with DirecTV. But I also think one of the things that is going to change in college football as far as television deals is streaming. Because people nowadays are streaming everything and they're going away from cable and satellite television. I, I think that that's going to be something that's really going to shake the college football landscape here in the next you know, 10 years. You're probably going to be seeing uh, companies like Hulu and you know some of these others come to the table and be able to pay a lot of money to be able to to broadcast these games, which would be great revenue for, for these conference uh, members. And so for the Pac-12, I, I think it needs to start there before you even think about going and getting other schools and adding. But you need to find a guy or have him learn how to spend the money wisely. And I, I think that that's the big step right now. But other than that, I think that the, the uh, Pac-12 is in a good spot. I wouldn't mind seeing another two teams. You know, I've, I've been thinking about it as you and I have been talking. If BYU was to get invited to the Pac-12, there, there would be two teams that would be great to add along with BYU, and that would be either Boise State or San Diego State mm. to kind of level it out. I actually think would be really good for that conference. Yeah, that that's uh, that's an interesting thought, I must say, because uh, that's one of the that's one of the hurdles I think the Pac-12 does have. Because I think they would invite more, but geographically and then politically, like BYU is not a fit. Boise State academically is not a fit, uh, and that that plays a role too. I, I think with academics, the research aspect, I do believe that does play a role. But football success and football money um, probably is the biggest driver of all. This is good stuff, Trevor. Yeah. You, now Go hold ahead. on, Mitch. I know you're you're gonna wrap up, so I'm I'm sorry to uh, cut you off here. We gotta talk about men's basketball. There's an elephant in the room. Okay. All right. So two things. One, how dare you take Caleb Loner from Utah? <laughs> we all we all know that that that's gonna happen. But I I, I do want to talk about that for a minute. But then I also kind of want to talk about you know the the uh, trends because I feel like just sitting on my end here, BYU is trending huge like upwards big time mark pope has really taken that program by storm and i feel like utah is going in the wrong direction caleb loner it sounds like according to a lot of reports out there and he's even said that he wants out of his uh his loi and byu is obviously the the landing spot what would he do for that program oh it'd be a huge addition uh you know caleb loner is a fantastic talent uh you're talking about a depending on what site you look at i mean his height's kind of extremely you got some sites saying six six you got others saying six nine it's more likely around six seven without shoes good player though i mean he was one of the guys i remember watching as a sophomore uh when he was at flower mound texas i remember watching his highlights thinking man this guy's got one of the purest shooting forms i've ever seen from a recruit following BYU basketball recruiting over the last 20 or so years so i think loner would be a huge boost for byu now i think it's been met with a lot of, you know, what did they do behind the scenes? Now, understand that once a individual, a student athlete requests to be removed or, re- or released, rather, from their letter of intent, they do have the ability, even if they haven't been released yet, to talk to other schools. So BYU talking to Caleb Lohner is no NCAA violation or anything like that. But uh, if he does end up at BYU, and it's fun when you see that these reports emerge, then you get people talking, and then they're like, hey, yeah, oh, yeah, I saw that guy at, at Vasa. I saw him down at uh, the 8th North Vasa. He's been working out and saw him. And it's like, it's funny when it, when an initial report rolls, and then it just starts flowing, all these little nuggets of info. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I expect, I think he'll definitely be at BYU, most likely. But 
And understand, too, he also had a lot of offers from Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, but it seems like BYU is the end game, and he always said himself that he felt like a BYU guy when he was a sophomore. So I think he ends up at BYU, and that's a big boost for the Cougars. Now, going off of the whole program as a whole, in the last 10 years, obviously it, it was all Dave Rose until this last year when, when Pope took over. Where's BYU basketball trending right now? Kind of the same question of what I did for uh, Kwani and, and the BYU football program. Oh, they're trending up. Uh, BYU, I think, has the ability, honestly, to be a powerhouse in college basketball. I think they can be the next Gonzaga. I really do. Under Mark Pope, I think BYU can really... BYU fans can dream big with BYU hoops. I really believe that. Like, I think, hey, you think they could be in the Final Four? Hey, speak it into existence. It could happen. Like, I don't think I could ever say that before about BYU basketball, even under Dave Rose. But with Mark Pope, his ability to, or not ability, but rather his willingness to embrace the transfer portal and see it for what it is and understand that's a big piece to being a non-blue blood, whatever that word is, honestly, what's a blue blood these days? But embracing that culture, being in the transfer portal a lot, and also being able to identify recruits that'll be program guys, also being able to keep guys happy. BYU has not had any guys leave the portal other than one who was a preferred walk-on, and he went down the street to UVU, and that ended up being a better situation for him, so that made sense. But everyone else, they're staying. Like, Colby Lee could easily say... I'm out. Deuces. You got Matt Harms. You're, you're bailing on me. He's not, though. So there, he's able to also juggle the personalities because we know in basketball, like, everyone thinks they're going to the NBA and everyone thinks they're a pro. And, look, you should yeah. believe that, sure, by all means. But, like, he's able to manage the personalities, bring it all together to buy into the team, and also create this culture like, hey, let's go win big. And he already showed he could do it with a group that no one thought could win big. And they, they did everything and then some. The only thing they didn't was just, you know, finish it off in the season when the in the in Vegas and get a chance to play in the tournament. But uh yeah, I think BYU basketball is is huge. I, I think that's we could see a situation, Trevor, where Mark Pope and BYU has more fan interest from Cougar fans in football in five years. Maybe. Wow. I could wow. see that. Like I, I could see BYU maybe being a basketball school. I, I that might be a little I, bit of a I reach. Can't right now. That may be a little bit of a reach because football is just so ingrained in BYU lore in these fans. But I could see the younger people becoming more BYU basketball fans. We'll see. Well, especially with of, of what Pope's been doing with that program, I'm absolutely baffled. And I, I think that we could see something, if Utah's trending the way they are and BYU's trending the way they are, I think we're going to see what uh, what we're seeing in the football rivalry, just the opposite. Hmm. You know, to where BYU is constantly taking taking care of Utah. What about Utah? I mean, we it's well documented some of the players that have transferred out. Larry Kraskoviak's got uh he's got a, it's kind of, it kind of feels like win now mode. You talked about it earlier about Mark Harlan's like you got to have guys win and I feel like guys and women they got to start winning and taking the athletic department to a higher level. I as an outsider looking at the program from you know 100 feet out if you will or 1000 feet out, 1000 miles, I don't know. But uh, I've, it looks like it's an important year where they have to win now, but it feels like it's breaking out a little bit at the seams in terms of guys wanting to leave like Caleb Lohner. If all the reports are true, Caleb Lohner leaves Utah, which it looks like he is, 
That is a big blow for Utah, but it wasn't as big. Like, but it it's more just adding icing on the cake for what all the damage that that Larry's been having to go through in this offseason, because it all started when they lost Booth Gotch. So that was a huge loss for him. Because if you look at it, they had the third most amount of of new guys on their team in the entire country last year in college basketball. And if you brought all those guys back another year under their belt, they were going to get better. And now you don't have that. You're losing a couple of key pieces. And also Larry had a great recruiting class coming in. And Caleb Lohner was was one of the two guys that a lot of people were looking forward to watching. And, you know, to not have him, I think it hurts. But I think a lot of the question is now is Larry, he's been at the helm at Utah since they entered the Pac-12. In that time, they've only been to the to the big dance twice. And that's not going to get it done anymore. It's not. And, you know, when when they did go to the a tournament in those two years, they had great guys who were who are now in the NBA and Delon Wright and Yaka Pirtle and obviously Kyle Kuzma as well. But to have some of those runs and then, you know, people say, well, they made it to the championship game in the NIT. Big whoop. It is the NIT. It's not. I would much rather lose in the first round of the you know big dance than going in and winning the title in in the NIT. I think right now Larry's program is trending downward. I mean, you could always say, well, there's still more talent coming back. You have Ryland Jones, you have Timmy Allen, you have you know Jackson Brenchley, you have uh, Brandon Carlson. They're all good players and young risers, but can they compete in in the Pac-12 where Oregon's going out and getting some of these big name guys? And, you know, Colorado's a good team. And I don't think Utah's trending in the right direction right now. And I, I think Larry's seat's getting pretty toasty right now, especially if, if he doesn't get things done this year. If you had told me 20 years ago that there's going to be a day where Utah football is bigger than Utah basketball and maybe BYU basketball could be bigger than BYU football, I would have thought you're crazy. Uh, but honestly, yeah. that's maybe where things are trending. I mean, Utah football definitely is the bigger program. It's a football school at Utah now. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's shocking because I, I think in terms of history, like Utah basketball has rich history decades and one of the winningest programs in college basketball. Both Utah and BYU are, I believe, 12th and 13th all time in total wins in college basketball history. So you're talking about programs that have this just huge success yeah, it just hasn't translated to tournament bids lately. For BYU, it's because of the pandemic this past year, but uh, Utah just hasn't got their footing consistently yet, it seems like, in the Pac-12 conference. But it's been good stuff, Trevor. It's been a fun podcast, and I think our listeners are going to enjoy it. You can follow Trevor again on Twitter, at Trevor A. On Sport, or Trevor A. Sports. Follow me, at Mitch underscore Harper, and subscribe to our podcast, Cougar Tracks and Crimson Corner, on kslsports.com, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Leave the five-star ratings and a review. Helps out our shows a ton. So I'll do this again another time, maybe getting close to the football season, but it's fun to revisit the last 10 years of college realignment with you, Trevor. Yeah, 10 years has, has gone by really fast. You know, you and I were at, at a different outlets in our careers and, you know, seeing where it, it all comes full circle now. But, you know, loving every bit of it. And, you know, I, I can't wait for to see what happens in, in the uh, next 10 years. Well, that'll do it for this crossover edition of Cougar Tracks and Crimson Corner. Both podcasts are powered by kslsports.com.
It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.